RadioInfluence.com. We are back for another edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvan. Daniel, happy Wednesday. How you doing, bro? I am doing pretty good. It is really, really cold here in the state of Texas, man. But things are heating up in the MMA world. I uh, like, like, like how I did that there. Bellator has a card that I'm excited about. I, I don't know if I've been able to say that. I don't know how long it's been since I've been able to say that, but it's crazy, dude. Damn, I mean, you look, t- you know, we'll get into this Bellator card. I think top to bottom, Bellator has done a great job to put it in there. By the way, I was listening to the Co-Main Event podcast earlier today. And yeah. uh, so do you realize, so we, we are about, to, we're hitting a, now a stretch run in the UFC where we got eight straight weeks of UFC events. And they did the math. We're going to have three pay-per-views in like 35 days. Really? What, what are the dates on them? February 11th. For a 284, okay. then you got March 4th for uh 285, the Jones and Gone one, and then two weeks later, you've got Usman and uh Edwards rematch in London. Oh my gosh, that's gonna when, be when, a lot of money. When they said that, I felt the pain for my credit card. <laughs> You're talking about nearly $300 gone in 30 some days, it's a lot of moolah, Jason. For a lot of people, that's like half of their, that's like, that's, a, that's, you know, that's, that's a big portion of their check they're making each week, man. Yeah. I know. I just saw that. I was like, I, I, I hadn't thought of it in that way. I was like, damn, but I will say this. I am looking forward to, to Mahachev and, and Volkanovsky. That's it's probably, I mean, you know, the, I mean, all three of them have three great main, main events, but, uh, I, I Mahachev Volkanovsky out of the three, maybe the one that interests me the most. I would go Jones and Gone. Oh, it's close though. It's it's a close one. Mahachev Volkanovsky is the better mixed martial arts fight. You have the pound for pound best fighter on the planet going up against a guy who looks like he's going to hold on to the lightweight championship for years and years. But just the interest in John Jones, he's someone I consider to be the most talented fighter of all time. Finally returning to the cage, finally moving up to heavyweight. That intrigue alone is why I would put it over Mahachev Volk. But it's close. I mean, it, it's three pay-per-views in a short period, but it's three pay-per-views that if I'm a mixed martial arts fan, I don't mind paying for. I mean, these are damn good main events, not to mention the uh, the rematch of Edwards and Usman. I mean, that was uh, one of the best moments of the entire year last year. And I, yeah. I'm digging the pay-per-views. Yeah, you know, I, I saw some people kind of complaining about the uh, the ticket prices for that that London pay per view, and I was like, if you look at any time the UFC does an event in front of fans, these tickets are not cheap. I mean, I remember when I was seeing my going to Orlando event, and um, I, I didn't buy tickets right when they came out, and the secondary market it was like two hundred bucks. And uh, listen, Anik and Florian and Anik is uh, you know talking about he's here in that you know you know potentially the April pay per view, which they announced uh, that one at the end of last week that it looks like Brooklyn or Miami. And I was like, Oh man, Miami, it's only a four hour drive for me. And then I'm sitting there thinking like, good Lord. Well, how much are those tickets going to be? You know, it, it would make a lot of sense to put that one in Miami, especially with Masvidal and, and where Masvidal is at at this point in, in his career. But, uh, but yeah, man, it, it's not cheap to go to the UFC event right now. I mean, it just, it's just not. Yeah, it, it's not. And it hasn't been. And it's one of those deals where, the demand is there for those tickets. Mm-hmm. If the demand wasn't there, the prices would be lower. 
But if the one thing that the UFC does care about, and they're really good at it, it's making money. They are really good at making money. Uh, they, they are just in so many different ways. I mean, it's the UFC is kind of slowly becoming um, a money business that's kind of disguised as a mixed martial arts company. Uh, the more and more as stories come along, right? And I mean, there's, yeah, you know, really, really riveting announcement about Logan Paul, really, uh, really captivating stuff there. Uh, but it, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's expensive for a reason because people are still willing to buy those tickets. Um, we'll talk about some of the people that have won MMA Twitter this week. I got to go over to Caposo, who uh, he uh, quote tweets, the spinning back backfist tweet about prime becoming the official sports uh, drink of the UFC. They're replacing body armor. So body armor, I, I want to say, I want to say their deal with the UFC started in 2017 and uh, Caposo's tweet is this quote sponsorship fighters sipping their monster energy water water while in the prime hydration recovery zone on the octagon shaped corner man stool brought to you by Toyo tires waiting for the official DraftKings UFC fight clock to start. I was like, Oh, you won Twitter today. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's phenomenal and it's so true. And, all I can think of when I see the news and of the prime recovery zones is that, man, that one quote that Dana had, and I was literally looking for it right now. I, I, I was, I was looking, I was looking for it the other day and, and like, you know, I go into Google and, and I go Dana White NASCAR. Yes, that's what I just Googled. And, and then I, I didn't realize it. that Dana White sponsored a NASCAR team <laughs> or a race or a car last year at some point. I could not find it, but I think we all remember that comment. And every time now I watch the UFC, that comment just comes to my mind because like I'm looking at that that octagon mat and it is logos everywhere. And you know, and obviously you know, I mean look, a lot of people are gonna complain about it. it is what it is. I mean, nothing's gonna change. I mean, they're gonna if they got valuable real estate on that on that octagon mat to sell, they're gonna sell it. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely are, and they're gonna sell, you know. I'm sure one day John Anik is gonna say, like, this jab is brought to you by blah 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 or whatever. <laughs> You know, I'm sure Joe Rogan won't be like this jab is brought to you by the Pfizer vaccine. He probably won't say that. But, you know, it will it will have all kinds of stuff. Uh, I think the one thing is, man, I was really thirsty a couple weeks ago and I went to Super Target and uh, I didn't know that Logan Paul had an energy drink or a sports drink recovery drink. But I did drink the prime without knowing it was his drink. And I got to say, it sucks. Uh, it, it's no Gatorade. <laughs> I've never, I've never had it, but you know, look, I am a, you know, if I go out on the town and let's just say, as you like to say, have a few daddy sodas, um, Gatorade is, has always been a part of the recovery. I did not know this. Till I heard someone say it's a couple weeks ago. They talked about their recovery, uh, fluid after a night of drinking is McDonald's diet Coke. I don't even understand why. Why have they, did they explain to you why? They said just it works. I, I, I'm look. What if I go <laughs> out just... and have have a good night of drinking with the boys? I'm, I'm a two ibuprofen and, and Gatorade kind of guy. Yeah, I don't do the ibuprofen, but maybe that's a veteran move. I need a copy, but I'm certainly a Gatorade kind of guy. I'm a I'm a, I got two Gatorades, one to drink before I go to bed, and one to drink when I wake up, and I just feel amazing. I mean, it's the most delicious drink of all time. 
a Gatorade whenever you've had a few daddy sodas. It really mm-hmm. is. I mean, it does. Yeah. Well, look, I, look. After a night of drinking, you know, especially when you know, you know, this is me speaking to our audience that's you know over the age of forty. We just don't recover well from a hangover. We just don't. Like I can't go out on a Saturday night, you know, be be out of the town watching Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak at two thirty in the morning East Coast time, and you know, and think I'm going to be wake up feeling all good after you know a few too many you know modelos. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely. I mean, what what a uh, what? I mean, that's a long night. That's a really long night if you're going to be watching that live. I'm you just know, gonna. It's look, gonna. You're the, gonna be going to the, bed at three a.m. Okay. The odds of me watching any of that main card live, and, and look, it's it's not to be disrespectful to the card. Nothing along those lines. It's just I'm a East Coast resident. I, I'm 41 years old, and the odds of me staying up till two thirty three, three o'clock in the morning to watch a fight night card. It's just unlikely. I'm just being honest. I, I like my my plan on Saturday is to sit my happy ass on my couch, get the beers ready, watch the Bellator card. Once the Bellator's card's over, I'll probably flip over to ESPN Plus. I'll watch a little bit of the prelims live, but I'm likely not making it to the main card. No, I mean it's too late. I'm sorry, but you know I would like to have a decent Sunday, and I will watch this card on Sunday. You know, Correct. shout out to shout out to you know. Uh, Laura Sanko for getting the commentary gig. She's like, hell yeah. Wait, I'm doing the card. that starts at one in the morning on the main card. What the hell? <laughs> but, you know, she's uh, this is the first of many for her. And she worked her butt off. And uh, I mean, she paid her dues, my man. I mean, she really, really paid her dues to get there. Uh, but, um, yeah, I feel I feel for uh, the, you know, the production staff that are there that are, you know, Think about it. Like these are people who are normal, like Las Vegas residents, I would assume, and they just gotta work until like three in the morning. They gotta tear down. I mean, those guys might not be gone till I don't know five in the morning. I feel for the production staff there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that since it's an international card next week, they may not really have to take anything down uh, because for a lot, a lot, a lot of the stuff, they they the production runs out of Vegas, I believe, for every show. Um, you know, it's all run kind of remotely uh, via there. Obviously, they they have their you know live team on location, but I'm pretty sure that they run all that through there. Yeah, I saw uh, Steve Morocco had a tweet a little earlier today. Uh, that noted that I guess he did. I saw I didn't read the article because God forbid I actually click an article, <laughs> which is pretty much a lot of Americans at this point. But he yeah. noted that said in this interview with Laura Sanko, you know, she has said that, um, you know, she's been booked for other fight night cards. So that that's great to see here. But uh, Dan, we got a ton to get into this week. And, and where I want to start off this episode is we're already a couple minutes into this episode. But where I really want to start off is this interview that I saw that Aaron Bronstetter of TSN with, did with Don Davis. Uh, Don Davis, you know, one of the head guys, I think his official title at the PFL is a CEO. And, uh, you know, it was a very great, a very great interview. It's like 17 minutes long. If you haven't catched it, um, if you go to Aaron's uh, Twitter account, you can see it right there. Uh, a very fascinating interview. Um, I thought I love the fact that 
during the interview, probably about, I don't know, three quarters of the way through, Aaron brings up the fact of when they had the semifinals for the tournament over in London, how two Russian fighters could not uh, compete on that card because that the UK government would not allow Russian um, citizens into their country. And, uh, you know, and, and so basically these fighters lost their opportunity you know, to, to advance on to the final. So kudos to Aaron for asking that question, but it was kind of early. You know, a lot of this conversation was about, you know, Francis Ngannou, you know, Jake Paul, things along those lines. But I thought uh, Don Davis had a very interesting comment about their pay-per-view model in comparison to the UFC pay-per-view model. And once we, uh, I'm going to play this comment here right now, and then we come back and go talk about how I took it. And I want to see if Daniel took it the same way I did. Well, remember, in our pay-per-view super fight division, the headline fighters will get 50% revenue share. Now, France is a big deal. <laughs> so he get a little bit more than, 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 than his share of that 50-50. But, but when you look at the world of your fighter, it's the best day to be an MMA fighter. Never been a better day than today. Last month, you had one option in pay-per-view, one legitimate option, UFC. Today, you have two great options. UFC or PFL, two different models, two different companies, both great places. And so if you're a fighter, explore your options, see what platform is best for you. We have the same distribution as UFC, ESPN in the United States, DAZN internationally. So if you're a pay-per-view fighter, you don't compromise at all. Great production quality, global distribution. It's just, where do you want? Do you want to own your own fights and have control and have a partnership or want to have their model? Your choice. All right, Daniel, here is my perception of what Don Davis said there. Do you kind of want to go with the established product, the product that's been around, or do you want to come to a place that's the, the new place to come to, but you're betting on yourself? Dude, the PFL has finally found its groove. It took a long time. But they finally found his groove, and the way he framed it is exactly why he should do it. In any business, when you're going up against Goliath, you need to do something different. You need to look at the market, and you got to be like, what can I do that's different? Mm -hmm. The PFL is answering the question of, or excuse me, the PFL was answering the concern and the want that fighters have to get a bigger chunk of the pie. That's that's what they want. Fighters have talked about how they deserve more money, a larger percentage of the UFC revenue. I believe they do. The PFL has got to a spot where they have the same distribution as the UFC, and they can now provide something the UFC can't, not to the fans, but to the fighters, which in turn means they can get better fighters and they can put on fights that fans will pay for. Obviously the first pay-per-view we criticized heavily because they had no fight that anybody that was a casual fan or myself would be willing to spend a pay-per-view amount worth. I can't remember. It was 49.99, I believe could be wrong on that number uh, for the first pay-per-view. I, 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 I believe you. If it was, I, if it wasn't forty nine nine nine, it was fifty nine. It was somewhere in that. I want to say it was fifty bucks. I I I think you're right in that. Uh, anyways, um, if 50, we'll call it fifty. Anyways, the first pay per view didn't have any good fights. Now they have Jake Paul and 
I think this will be very attractive to free agent fighters and they can get fights to put on pay-per-view. God, I can't believe the PFO got their head out of their butt, Jason. Let me, let me preface it this way. Cause I thought of this scenario and let's just say Francis and Ganu and I did like what Don Davis said because Aaron asked him about potentially if you were able to sign Francis, who would that first fight be against? And I like the, what Don's answer was. He says, he goes, as a fight fan, as a, as a sports fan, how about the 2023 heavyweight season is the heavyweight tournament is whoever wins this tournament, you get Francis Ngannou first. I was like, Okay, I like that now. If I'm Francis Ngannou, I don't know if I necessarily want to sit around for a year waiting for my next fight. But let's just say we're talking Bellator PFL. Let's say Bellator offers a guaranteed $2 million to Francis Ngannou. PFL comes in and says, Francis, we're going to give you 50% of the revenue of your pay-per-view, but we're only going to guarantee you 1.25 1.25 million. If you're Francis Ngannou, what deal do you take? Oh, I would have to figure out the numbers real quick and what the number of pay-per-view buys I would have to do to make more money on the PFL deal. What do you, what do you think that would be that buy rate? What buy rate do you think you would need to get to that number that, the other number. I think the, th- the question becomes is who's standing across the cage from, from Francis and Ganu. That's going to get people intrigued. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I look, I like what the PFL is doing, you know, but I, I truly, like I said a minute ago, I feel like this is, if you are a pay-per-view type draw, you, you're a, a Nate Diaz. Cause we all, we all believe Nate Diaz is a pay-per-view draw is how much do you think you can sell? when you're not on a UFC pay-per-view. Yeah, I I think it I think those fighter a guy like Nate Diaz is probably confident that he could fight a mop and that would sell. Francis, I don't think he can sell on his own to be completely honest with you. I think if he fights a bum, it won't sell. I mean, if Nate fights a bum, it won't sell either, but for Nate, he's at a lighter weight class where there's more talent out there and more marketable matchups for Francis. I mean, realistically, uh, maybe a uh, God. I mean, he destroyed Overeem last time they fought. I mean, that that's a name out there. But I, I like what Don. I mean, for, realistically, moving forward for Francis, the best course of action is probably signing a deal with the PFL. Let the PFL build up challengers. It's possible. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Fedor fighting right this weekend, and when I think of a guy that was built out of nowhere. He ultimately fought and lost to Fedor. Scott Coker did this. They built a guy in Brett Rogers in Strike Force, and they made him seem like a real deal. And he was the real deal. He was knocking people out. He knocked out Andre Arlovsky, came out of nowhere, was developed in brand, and was a marketable challenger and main evented a Strike Force show against Fedor. So that's possible in the PFL to develop and, and, and market heavyweight fighters. Uh, but I think the best move for Francis sign with the PFL, but take a fight against Tyson Fury in the meantime. I I, I was thinking about this as you were kind of talking, and we're talking about where could Francis be. And, and if I said, you know, uh, where are we going to go? True false. We're going to do agree disagree with a uh, Ryan Bayer said. So I guess we'll go with true false here. 
If I said Francis Ngannou's next combat sports matchup is a MMA fight, would you say true or false? For me, I would probably say false. I think it's more likely we see Francis Ngannou in a boxing matchup next as opposed to an MMA fight. Yeah, I agree. I, I really feel like we're going to see him fight Tyson Fury. I think that's a money matchup. I think Tyson is probably pretty effing confident that he's going to be really successful in this fight against Francis. He probably thinks it's going to be a, a, a walk in the park. And it, it's a big money fight. I, I think that's the fight to make. I, I think the problem for Francis is the heavyweight division was such an old division that all those guys who were marketable free agents are now just retiring. Uh but there are some talents out there. There, there are some young talents out there in Bellator. I mean, there's a really good heavyweight matchup with some younger heavyweights that's on the prelims. And, and there's plenty of good talent at heavyweight in, in, in the PFL as well. It's just a matter of making marketable names. I still believe that I think it's more likely that Francis Ngannou is in the PFL than he is in Bellator. But, you know, I, I, I saw the comments Scott Coker made today about Francis Ngannou, and he's like, yeah, we look forward to having a conversation with him. I'm sitting there going, how has this conversation not happened yet? Yeah, how has this conversation not happened the second he becomes a free agent? Maybe it has <laughs> happened. I mean, the thing with Scott is I don't believe, like, I believe Scott – plays poker when every time he does an interview it's it's total he yeah. he only reveals what he wants you to know mm-hmm. so i think it would be as luke thomas would say promotional malpractice to not have communicated with you know one of the two most marketable free agents in the game right now like this is, to me is like you as we look kind of into 2023 if nate diaz and francis and ganu sign mma contracts with a promotion they're not bellator i feel like that's going to be a bad look on bellator it is. It is that the good thing for Bellator is they were able to retain talent. AJ McKee, yeah. Cyborg, you know, continue to do business with Bellator. But yeah, it, basically, if Bellator loses out on Jake Paul, Francis, and Nate to another promotion, that is the biggest message that they are no longer number two. And I would say right now the PFL is the number two promotion uh, in, in the in the country right now. It's the tie has changed and the tie changes with the types of fighters they can get. And, you know, the tie hasn't changed so much in terms of viewership quite yet, but I think the viewership is going to be there in 2023 for the PFL that validates that. I mean, whenever Jake Paul fights, that's going to be the biggest non UFC card of the year. It just, it just will be. Well, I think back to the conversation I had on the last episode of the podcast with Anthony Romero, who's going to be a part of the contender series uh, here in two weeks. And, you know, he, he had talked about, I mean, you know, obviously he went on the contender series, didn't get a contract, but he said, he goes, he's like, look, in the PFL, you don't have to sit there and, you know, trash talk your way into a title matchup. And he says, and they've got that carrot of a $1 million check sitting out there. So I think when you talk to fires, PFL is, is an option that a lot of them want to go to. And uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, can Bellator regain some of the market share they have? Because I do, I do feel that they lost it to PFL in 2023. So, I mean, look, 
we'll see what happens. But we mentioned, I mean, look, Bellator has got a great card on Saturday, you know, from the from the early prelims. I mean, there there's so many matchups on these early prelims on Saturday that really intrigue me. I mean, just looking at the fight card right in front of us, uh, Jalen Bates and Jordan Lugo, that's a great matchup of two young 135-pound fighters. Um, you know, I had a great conversation with Darian Caldwell. I'm interested to see what does Darian Caldwell look like first fight there in 13 months. Uh, Albrex and Neil, that's a great matchup at 205 pounds. Gonzalez, uh, Roshkoff at, at 155 pounds. Uh, Steve Mallory and Ali Asiyev. Uh Ali has not fought in, since 2019. Uh, Henry Krause on this card. Lorenz Larkin's on this card. Uh, um, also, Neiman Gracie's on this preliminary card. So, like, this preliminary card is stacked. And so, you know, a lot of great options there. And, of course, uh, I mean, like, look, we're going to talk a lot about the, the main event and co-main event. Um, if you're not familiar with Brandon Ward and Bahamasi, um, this is uh, all caps, B-A-N-G-E-R. This should be a banger between these two guys. I'm looking forward uh, to watch that one. I don't know how long it's going to last because I expect both these guys just go in there and drop some bungalows. But that's going to be a fun fight to kick off uh, the CBS main card. Oh, it's a no-brainer. I mean, as soon as the fights are lined up, it, it, it sticks out as the must main card fight. It, it's, the, it's the fight that had to have been on the main card. Mm-hmm. Similar to Anthony Pettis and Clay Guida, except for that fight wasn't on the main card. It was just a one-fight UFC on Fox card between Kane and uh, and JDS, uh, which was a mistake in hindsight. But uh, <laughs> Ward and Hamasi is going to be awesome. You know, maybe if there's enough downtime, they can replay some of these prelims because these prelims are really, really stacked. Like that heavyweight matchup between Ali Asayev and Steve Mowry is really, really good. I mean, you have a, a PFL fighter in Ali, uh, hasn't fought in a while, really, really talented, going up against a guy who's fought really well in Steve Mowry. And it's breakout season for one of these guys. These are two really talented heavyweights. Like, and, and that's the theme of the prelims is like it's prospect versus prospect in a close fight, not a side prospect versus local jobber. It's a lot of high stakes, close preliminary contests. I mean, a fight like uh, uh, that women's flyweight matchup between Alejandra Lara and, and Diana mm-hmm. Avsaragova is Diana is clearly someone I think Bellator wants to market and have success with. And they're matching her up with a good fighter in Lara on the prelims. I mean, it, 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 the Lugo fight that you mentioned against Bates. Bates has been a a, a a guy who's clearly a prospect on the rise, undefeated. And, oh, crap, he's in there against Jornel Lugo. It's not even like he might he's getting a tough fight on the main card on TV. It's on the prelims on YouTube. You know, you might get that first one on your undefeated resume. The stakes are high in this Bellator card. Yeah, I mean, like – I, like I look at the Gonzalez and Roshkoff fight, you know, we all know the story of Max Roshkoff. He was supposed to make his, his Bellator debut uh, back in October of last year. Unfortunately, he was not cleared to fight uh, by the commission in that one. So he's got this one. It, it's it, overall top to the bottom. I, th- I think it's, it's a great fight card, but you know, where I was kind of, and by the way, also uh, give kudos to Bellator. They're bringing up a ton of legends for this one for Fedor's last fight. And we'll, we'll talk about this. I, I sometimes I feel like as MMA community, we kind of f- usually tend to forget about how retirement fights go. They usually don't go well, but we'll get into that. Uh, but I want to play a little agree, disagree. I saw this quote over at MMAfighting.com from Ryan Bader on the heavyweight goat conversation. 
where he said, quote, I would say Kane Velasquez was the best when he's healthy, but the only problem is Kane couldn't stay healthy for long enough, long enough, and didn't have the resume in the fights that Fedor did. I would say Kane could go out there and be the best heavyweight of all time. If you're going to put a label on somebody, I would say Fedor would be the one. He didn't come over to the UFC, but it's not taking away from him. He built a legacy. He fought those guys in Japan. He beat a lot of those guys. But if you were to put on a fight on their best night, Fedor versus Kane, I'm going with Kane. This is an interesting one, you know, because this GOAT conversation is always going to be, it's, it's going to be a hot topic. And I think we're talking about MMA heavyweight GOAT. I don't have a hot take on this one. If you say it's Fedor, cool. If you say maybe it's Stipe Miocic, okay. If you say it's Kane Velasquez, like Ryan Bader kind of alluded to, okay. But if you told me a healthy Kane, a healthy Fedor in their prime, who do I go with? I think that's a coin flip. I, I'd Ooh, probably yeah. give the edge to Kane because, and I think this kind of goes along this conversation of like an NBA when people are having the Jordan LeBron debate, you know, like Fedor, you look at those 10 years that he was undefeated. It's an incredible run that he went on. But also I think about the, the heavyweights of today, the type of fighters they're fighting. I just think they're better. Yeah. But the thing is Kane's victories weren't, over that many different like Kane's most impressive victory was over Junior Dos Santos twice but his other big ones are over Antonio Silva Brock Lesnar Rodrigo Nogueira and Ben Rothwell Travis Brown as well those fighters aren't that much more impressive than the guys Fedor beat in fact I would say the guys Fedor beat I mean I think Mirko Krokop is more impressive than a lot of those names I mean Mirko Krokop is to me the equivalent to Junior Dos Santos on the feet. So that's the thing. The heavyweight division is unlike any other weight class, Jason, or I would almost push back on that idea where obviously the NBA players today are so much better than the NBA players of the 70s and 80s. The heavyweight division has not aged Excuse me. The heavyweight division has not evolved as quickly as the lightweight division. You put yeah. Prime Fedor against Derek Lewis or Sergey Spivak, Fedor's kicking both their butts. In my opinion, I, I, I think, think the, I, I think ahead. the question would be with the American wrestling style of how would Fedor have handled yeah. that? I mean, the one thing, and we were talking about this pre-show, is even at 46 years old, the hand speed that Fedor has is still unbelievable. I just wonder, like, it's one of these things of like, and and like I said, I don't have a hot take on, on whether or not Fedor is the MMA heavyweight GOAT, but my question to people who would say he's the MMA heavyweight GOAT is then what would it take for someone to surpass him? I would say it would probably have to take anywhere from five to six championship level victories. I would say would would dethrone Fedor. Kane almost got there, but he didn't. You know, Francis also has a real opportunity to get there. Um in the future, he's he's not going to have those quality fights, but he he may. I think five to six championship level fights because the run Fedor went on was exceptional. 
And the thing about Fedor, like even going up against an American style wrestler, I mean, he tapped out Mark Coleman in 2004. Mm-hmm. Coleman was one hell of a wrestler. So I think as time goes on, people really forget how special Fedor was. Also, he doesn't look like the greatest of all time. He just, <laughs> he's got, right? He, I, that's I, a big reason. No, I, know, I know what you mean. He, you know, he doesn't, he's, but you know, I was thinking about this. Like there is, I think a good percentage of our audience that probably has never seen Fedor fight life. And, but I was thinking about like, when you think about these memories of Fedor, and I know he was asked this question today and, you know, he brought up his, his fight against Noguera as one of his crowning moments of his career. But then like, I think about things I'll always remember and, and to kind of correlate this to uh, what happened in San Antonio last weekend with the pop that Sami Zayn got when he turns on Roman Reigns, like one of the moments I'll never forget about Fedor. It's not a top moment. It's just one of the moments is when for doom tapped him out. I think we, when that happened, we all kind of had that. Oh crap moment. Like, did that just happen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that speaks to the legacy of Fedor that tells you how great he was, right? That is a moment you will never forget. I remember watching it live, but you know, it, it, it speaks to the fact that, when Verdum tapped out Cain Velasquez, I guarantee you, you probably can't remember where you were when that happened. And it speaks to how good of a legacy Fedor had. He went 27 fights without losing. And those 27 fights pretty much all happened in a major spotlight, right? Within the pride yeah. ring people or affliction, you know, people after, after pride, people were paying attention to his fights. And before that it was all in pride. So that's a crazy resume. Among those 27 fights, I haven't done the actual analysis. I would say half of those fights were against non-impressive opponents, right? Your Zulu Zinhu, Hongman Choi, professional wrestlers like Yuji Nagata. Half of those fights were against the best heavyweights in the world. So of the, so we'll call it uh, a 14-fight win streak, realistically. But it was a 27-fight undefeated streak. He had a no contest uh, to, to Noguera. So... It, I mean, if you lived in the moment, you know the feeling of, of Fedor on that run. And it is unlike any fighter I've ever seen fight other than Prime Anderson, Prime GSP, Prime John Jones, Prime Jose Aldo. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just one of those things of it's always going to be kind of that great unknown. Like, what would have happened if the UFC signed Fedor and he fought Brock? Before Brock had his health issues, what what would have that looked like? We have no idea, you know. And kind of leading up to what we're going to see on Saturday night. Unfortunately, in this sport, when you say you're going to retire, and we all got to take, you know, we we take that word with a grain of salt here in the MMA community. But even though this seems like one that you would think would would truly be a retirement, it typically doesn't end well. And but no. but I'm like, you know what? This is like almost one of those ones I go. Maybe it does end well. Maybe it does end well for Fedor. Because he is Fedor and he has that mystique about him that he can do the impossible. And then the other thing is Ryan Bader's 39 years old, right? Mm -hmm. He is no spring chicken. In addition to that, Ryan Bader has gone in there with a legend that he should have put away. And he lost. And then he lost to Tito Ortiz. Mm 
He was in the same spot over 10 years ago, and Tito Ortiz shocked the world. The difference here is Ryan Bader has already beat Fedor in like 35 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the difference here is Fedor is 46 years old. Um, Fedor has returned to form. He has looked a lot better in this Bellator run. I still, and even though it wasn't even a loss, I still can't get out of my head his performance against Fabio Maldonado back in 2016 on this Fight Nights card. Dude, I remember watching that one live, and I'm like, someone needs to stop the fight. Like, it was not, if that fight was in the United States, oh, that fight would have been stopped. But because it was where it was, that fight wasn't stopped. And at that moment, I thought Fedor should never fight again. He's so mm-hmm. past his prime. He's washed. It's dangerous. He's gone into Jens Pulver territory. And mm-hmm. we are now eight years past that, and he's had some good performances. The win over Timothy Johnson. You know, the rest of his Bellator wins have been against guys who were 10 years past their prime mm-hmm. in Frank Mir and Chael Sonnen. Yeah. So here's the thing with this fight. Fedor is probably going to get finished in the first round. But Ryan Bader is a little chinny. He has been knocked out a few times in his career. Fedor does have some fast hands. And the one thing that don't go is power. Dude, I I was surprised at the betting odds. The fact that Ryan Bader is a minus 325 betting favorite. You thought it would be wider? No, I thought it would be closer. Oh, really? Oh, I don't know. Cause, I mean, like, I would have thought like uh, minus 200, maybe uh, minus 225. I, know, I wasn't expecting minus 325 because I mean, you know, I mean, look, it's now if like I always say, Daniel, Father Time is undefeated. Maybe Father Time is making a trip to Los Angeles this weekend. Possible. I mean, I, I think it, I think he I think Father Time is probably already over there. Uh, in Los Angeles, he's probably one of the legends in attendance. The thing is, Fedor hasn't beat anyone at Ryan Bader's level since he beat Andre Arlovsky in 2009. I mean, yeah. Fedor's best win since 2009 is literally over either the Brett Rogers fight I mentioned or the Timothy Johnson fight because Rampage, Chael, and Frank are just not the same guys. <laughs> yeah. They were. So Fedor really hasn't had a quality win in a very, very, very long time. Ryan Bader's a quality championship level fighter in Bellator. But the thing is, again, Bader has been upset and Bader does have that glaring deficiency. The chin, it is there to be hit. Uh, I, I said, look, Bader's my pick. Bader's my pick, but common sense is Bader's the pick. Of course. Of course it is. Like, we know how MMA retirement, when you say you're going to retire, nine times out of ten, you're not walking away with a victory, and you, you feel like you're going to walk away from it sad. And I feel like, unfortunately, that's the way we're going to walk out of Bellator 290. It's going to be like, damn, man, one of the legends of the sport, one of the all-time greats. Like, if you sat there and said, name your top five MMA fighters, I think for a majority of fans, Fedor would be one of those five fighters people would name. If yeah, they I, if they were a longtime fan of the sport. If, if they're a, a fan from, say, 2010 on, yeah, they may not name Fedor because they weren't around, you know, in his heyday in, in Pride. 
Yeah, I, I uh, man, I, I mentioned this a long time ago about wanting to do a podcast like this, but we really should do some type of uh, historical podcast to put on the YouTube channel for someone who is coming up on the sport to listen in on and get a sense of a person's career and, and, and kind of, you know, get these fighters and, and talk about their whole careers because it's worth watching. Hey, think about this. Uh, How many people who take in the UFC on a weekly basis on ESPN plus have never seen John Jones or Conor McGregor fight live. It's, it's John Jones, especially, but Conor too. Yeah. It's been a couple years now. Conor, Conor, um, I think they're only one month apart. Really? Are they only one month apart? I remember. I want to say it was February of 2020, the last time John Jones fought. Conor McGregor, I believe, was January 2020. I thought John Jones hadn't fought since 2019. Uh, I thought Jones was, if it, it may have been 2019. I'm, I'm pulling up Conor right now. Because Conor fought, fought Dustin. Conor in 2021, excuse me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what about Jones? Was he 2019? I think he's tw- I think he's 2020. I want to say it was 247, I want to say. Well, he for sure fought before the pandemic. Yeah, pandemic. yeah, two, yeah, two forty-seven was John Jones' last fight, February eighth, twenty twenty. So was that right before the pandemic started? Yeah, yeah, it was like a month, month before. Oh Re- remember God. the pa- when the pandemic started, the UFC <laughs> did a show in Brazil with no fans yeah. in attendance. That was the last time they gone to Brazil prior to the the previous the last uh, the last UFC fight card. Yeah, they had that. Uh, let's see, what do I remember from that card? I mean, I feel like didn't they have that great fight? between uh god i don't even know who was in that fight i can't even remember who's all i remember is there was a really great fight that was in it that was there and it was like damn that was a fight of the year but because there's no crowd it's like it it's not as special as it should be i can't even remember what fight it was it was charles Oliveira defeating kevin lee gilbert burns via damian maya and Nato Mancano meet Demir Havich, uh, Kryloff decision over Walker, Trinaldo decision over McDessey. Let me uh, let me look at this fight night. Uh, so that was March the fourteenth, twenty twenty. Yeah, there's not a fight on here that speaks to what I was talking about. Maybe it was the uh, I don't even know what fight I was thinking of that do you know what i'm talking about like there was like a really awesome fight in the apex maybe it was the apex not brazil and it was like a barn burner and oh yeah i'm just going through wikipedia and it's just an absolute hellscape because you have all these cards that are just canceled right (laughs) yeah it's just (laughs) maybe maybe did they do a did they do a card in the apex before they went to brazil oh yeah right before that did yeah Maybe that's what I'm talking about. I, I, this is driving me absolute nuts. I'm going to, I won't figure this out. Uh, oh well. Well, it would, not, someone... it would not. It would not have been the apex at that point. Oh. Well, remember the week before that was the wonderful matchup between Izzy and Romero that put us all asleep. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's a fight that probably uh, the fans probably wish the pandemic had started a week earlier. Uh, now because, yeah, the. That one was- now, back on February 29th, 2020, that was when Davison Figueredo defeated Joe Benavidez. Uh, Ankalai defeated Kutalaba. I'm trying to think of other ones that stick out to me for that card that were. There's nothing else I think that sticks out to me about that, that card in particular. 
Yeah, I uh, I don't know. The, 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 all I remember is it was a great fight, and uh, uh, you know I'll figure it out eventually. But you know. like it's also it's also one of these things. Like if you're Ryan Bader going this one, it's gonna be kind of weird. Like you're, you're you're taking on a legend of sport that said this is gonna be his last fight. How's it gonna go? Um, I would say this. I you know the Edwin Anatoly Tokal fight is a great matchup for the 185 pound title. I feel like this is a great opportunity for Johnny Edwin. Uh, Gegard Musasi is going to be in attendance, so I got to kind of think that this may be leading up to uh, maybe Musasi wins his uh, next matchup. He's taking on uh, Fabian Edwards uh, overseas. But, uh, I, you know, Tokal has been on a great run uh, in his career. 31-3 uh, training partner with Eric Fedor. Uh, Johnny Eblin, I would expect Eblin's going to utilize his wrestling in this one. This this is a great matchup. And I think I saw that Eblin's a pretty big favorite, which I was like, let me pull it up right now. But I think I saw he was a decent-sized favorite. That's uh, interesting to me. Johnny Eblin is a minus 250 betting favorite. It's a closer fight than that, in my opinion. Oh, it, yeah. It really is. I mean... Look, Eblin's my pick, but Tokov might be the better striker between these two. Uh, the thing is, Eblin like dominated Musasi with his wrestling, and mm-hmm. you know we've seen Eblin like he's he's got crazy good power, and he didn't utilize his wrestling like as much as he probably could have given his skill set. So that's why I'm picking Eblin is because, like, this is just a really – like, if things aren't going good on the feet, he can just wrestle Tokov. But Tokov is, like, super good. He might be able to defend the takedowns and keep it on the feet. He's got good power. He's just – this is, this is a, a damn good fight, actually. This is a really, really good fight. Mm-hmm. This is the fight for the hardcore fans. This is, this is one hell of a middleweight fight. But if Johnny Eblin beats uh, Tokov – you know, don't look now, but he, he's building a good resume in Bellator. I mean, he's he's taking the middleweight division. Bellator's pretty top heavy with some really good talent between Salter, Musasi, and now Toka. So yeah, I'm going Eblin. I, I think he uses his wrestling to win, but if he gets stuck in a firefight, it could be dangerous. He pro- he, he provides danger, but Tokov's really good on the feet. So uh, yeah, I will go Eblin in that one. Brand War Sabahamasi. Oh. Um, so look, full disclosure, I know people who train with Brand Ward, so I'm probably a little biased here. Uh, to me, this is one that I think if Brendan can utilize his wrestling, that is his path to winning this fight. But I just think Brendan is going to want to go out there and, and slug it out. Uh, Brendan is a slight betting underdog in this one. Uh, plus 165 for Brent Ward, minus 195 for Sabah Hamasi. I'm going to go Brent Ward and just with the thought process that he's going to utilize his wrestling. That's probably not a great analysis of this fight. If Brendan uses his wrestling, I'm going to be pissed off. All right, I want a banger. I want a <laughs> banger. Uh, I, I Look, flip a coin. It, it, it just becomes a brawl. It's anybody's ball game. Yeah. It really is. Like, like both guys are going to hit each other in a brawl. So it's just going to come down to who goes down. Uh, I'm going to go Sabahamasi just to be on the different side of the, of the token, but it, it, could, it could go either way. I mean, it's just a hell of a fight. I think both these guys are going to give the fans the, their money's worth, and I think they both understand why they are on the main card and, and, and mm-hmm. the others aren't. By the way, the under uh, under one and a half rounds, minus 200. Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think these guys are going to go for broke, yeah. man. Yeah, uh, fight, dude, fight, goes, fight goes decisions plus 350. I, I feel like that many people are going to be making that bet. 
But if it goes to the decision and it's a non-wrestling matchup, if it's a stand-up matchup that goes the distance, that could be uh, an all-timer. I mean, that could yeah, be a I fight would, of the yeah. year contender if both those guys stay standing. I tell you what, man, uh, on the prelims, out of all the fights, the second fight I'm looking forward to the most behind the heavyweight scrap is that fight between Lorenz Larkin and, and Muhammad. Berkhamov. I mean, Lorenz Larkin is like that's a welterweight challenger type fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in his Bellator run, it, it started off with a couple losses, but since then he hasn't lost, and it's it's a rematch of their initial scrap. And Berkhamov is is a really really good fighter. There's a lot of international fighters in Bellator and PFL that are super talented that don't have any name value right now, mm-hmm. but they will eventually. That's one of these guys, and he's going up against one of the top welterweights in the world. It's a good fight, man. It's a, it's a uh, good fight card. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, it's it, yeah. Look, Bellator's got a great fight card. By the way, talk about the UFC card on Saturday night. Have you seen these pictures of Derek Lewis going around online? Yeah, who photoshopped him? <laughs> Dude, I'm like Derek is looking great. Like he is. I mean, you know, he did talk about today that the reason. So you remember this fight was supposed to happen. But back in December, I want to say, uh, got got canceled on fight day because Derek Lewis tested positive for COVID. And today during the media day, he, he said he goes, every bad symptom of COVID, I had it. So apparently it was a pretty bad case here. So maybe that plays a little bit into the loss game there. Um, like to me, like you can never, and like you said a little bit earlier with Fedor, the power never goes away. But I just feel like Sergey Spivak is the better mixed martial artist. I think he's going to get Derek Lewis to the ground. He's going to win this fight via ground and pound. But you can never rule out Derek Lewis because of that power he has. No, you really can't. And it's uh, it's hard to pick against Lewis here. But, God, he looked like crap in his last fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Granted, he went up against a guy who might just end up being, you know, a heavyweight champion in a couple of years and, and Sergey Pavlovich, but uh, Derek did not look good. I've gone back and forth on this one. Uh, I'm going to end on, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with Lewis. I'm going to go with Lewis. Actually. I, I think the power will land. I, I just with Spivak. He doesn't scare me the same way from a power standpoint that Pavlovich does. Uh, but God, he could also put Lewis on his back and have a lot of success there. I, his, I, I'm going Lewis, man. I, I am. Uh, I, I like Derek to win here. I think this will probably be his last main event win in the UFC. Uh, him being in better shape actually concerns me. I would rather him be chubbier. I don't know why. I just feel <laughs> like <laughs> sometimes when these guys start getting in shape, they get worse. But I think the fact that this fight isn't in Houston is yeah. – Yeah, he's going to win. He's not in Houston. I'm going <laughs> yeah, Derek Lewis. Yeah, yeah. He's not Houston. I will say this. I, outside of the main event of what does Derek Lewis look like? I mean, Sergey Spivak could very well be a guy we're talking about fighting for the UFC heavyweight title sometime in the next 12 months. But the fighter on this card that excites me the most, he hasn't fought since 2019. Do Ho Choi. Yes, the Korean sir. super boy is back. You know, he, he did his military service there to me. Like when you look at this fight card, he is the guy that I've got high live. Like, I want to see what this guy looks like. I feel like this is kind of the UFC matching him up the right way to make him look great because we all know the type of fights this kid has put on. Yeah, dude, uh, I I agree. There's actually two fighters. He's one of them. I'll mention the second one later. But Duho Choi, when he entered the UFC, 
was one of the premier international prospects in the sport. And he came in and he was exciting. But, dude, he just got loss after loss after loss. And then he went on his military service. I think the problem for him was he was too reckless in his last three fights. He was he he was he was guaranteed excitement and guaranteed fight of the night. That's what Duho Choi was. He he was balls to the wall, but he got caught when he went balls to the wall. I really hope he has taken the time off, focused himself, and he comes back renewed. You look back at Korean Zombie, he had a lot of success when he came back from his service. And I think Duho Choi could do could do it as well. So Jason, he's number one. Obviously, you have a lot of these guys. You know who the other guy is. I I would be shocked if I don't know who your number two is. Yeah, it's 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 Tyra the flyweight. Yeah. Well, by by the way, have you seen how have you seen how big of a betting favorite he is? How big of a favorite is he? I have eleven and a half to one. Jesus Christ, this kid. Okay, I'm I'm over at Best Fight Odds. He is the lowest he is at is minus eleven fifty. There is one, two, there are four sports books listed on best fight odds. that have him as a 14 to one betting favorite. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's, this guy's the real deal. This guy could be the next Hyoji Horiguchi. Uh, he, he may even be better. He may win the championship. It's, it's way too early in his career. He's 23 years old, but he is freaking skilled. And, um, yeah, I, you know, it, to, to be frank, I'm surprised by uh, the the placement. I mean, it, at the end of the day, maybe maybe the placement isn't too bad because the place this maybe being the first fight on this fight card is the best possible placement you could be on because of the of this of the start time. Because obviously, a lot of people are watching it on demand, but if people are watching it live in America, this is the fight people are going to see more than most yeah. because it's going to be on in prime time actually, or a little past prime time. So uh, yeah, Tetsuru. 23 years old, undefeated from Japan, highly skilled, probably going to get a first-round finish. Him and Duho Choi, those are the two fighters to watch, in my opinion. Also, this card is littered with the uh, tournament finals for Road to UFC. Look, I didn't watch the season. Jason didn't watch the season. I'm sure there's some people that did, and I'm sure it was great. So this is going to be our entry into some of these fighters. When I look at their resumes, I got to say the resumes are very impressive. When I look at the actual topologies of these guys, they have some really good resumes. You have some undefeated fighters. You have some fighters with losses but with big records. Um, So I do think that from a cursory glance, looking at their resumes, I do think a couple of these fighters are probably going to have a lot of success in the UFC. Look, while I did not watch the road to the UFC – I did watch episode two of slap fighting or, 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 or power slap road to the title. Or By the way, the finals of this show are on pay-per-view. What kind of sick freak is going to buy this pay-per-view? What kind of sick freak? I, I mean, we criticized the I, PFL. And dude, they, they actually, they had like double the ratings from week one to week two. I watched it and um, they double their ratings. Yeah, they, they had 465,000 viewers for their live plus same day viewership. Did they have was, it was like two really it was like crazy? 26 it was like 265 for episode 1. What was there something really crazy in the news a week ago on that Wednesday or no to explain that cuz that's a massive difference. I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, obviously you've, you've got the, I mean, you've got the AEW lead in. Um, so how much of the wrestling crowds, you know, sticks around for that? It's the, like, it's the same show. It's the same aid. I mean, AEW was both weeks. I'm just trying to figure it out because that's actually a really positive sign for power slap that they double their, I didn't know that. that well, I, 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 I look, I think part of it is, is I think they're getting a lot of traction on, um, TikTok. And I think that's really helped them out. But like, I've watched it and I'm just, oh. there, there's this part of me as I'm sitting there watching it, I'm going, why the hell am I watching this? Yeah, look, but that's the thing. And I said it last week. It's entertaining to watch. It's just morally and ethically, I don't think we should, we should, it should be a thing. Look, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, look, I am very, very, very conscious about like the brain as a person who grew up as a professional wrestling fan, mm-hmm. as a person who loves MMA, as a person who's training in pro wrestling. I am very cognizant of that. You know, I grew up with my heroes having trouble speaking at the age of 55 and 60 and memory loss and all that crap. So when you see a dude put his hands behind his back and stick his thing out and the other guy hits some full no, no, no. force. Okay. All right. Like, why are they holding like the towel behind their back? And then you got like the two people <laughs> whose little job behind them is to catch yes. them if they fall. And they never catch them. No. They never catch them. Yeah. Think, uh, think about this. Think about this. Slap fighting is regulated by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Bare knuckle boxing is not. It, it's, it makes the Nevada State Athletic Commission look bad that that is the case yeah that's it, it does man it, it does you know i call it like i see it the nevada state athletic commission is one of the premier athletic commissions in the country mm-hmm. but it is a bad look jason herzog is one of the best referees in the country he's one of the best officials i've ever seen in my life yeah. Yeah. i have all the respect in the world for him but it is a bad look oh i know i know and, i watched uh, the power slap i watched the first episode I don't feel good about it when I go in and I tuck myself into bed. And I, uh, I pray to God. I'm like, God, please forgive me for watching the entire episode. It was, it was, it was, it was kind of addicting. But Lord, it's, please forgive me. I feel like I'm watching a train wreck and I'm just trying to figure out what's the next stop on this train. Well, you're watching guaranteed brain damage. Oh, of which, course you are. Of course you are. Like that. Which, that's I mean, why. Yeah. That's why I said last week on the show, like. The combat sports audience has to understand there will be an audience out there for this. There's an audience for slap fighting. Unfortunately, in the MMA journalism business, there's not always an audience there. And, you know, when when I saw the news on... That was a cool transition. That's so messed up (laughs) that, like, people... There's more people that watch slap fighting than want to read a good piece. But that's what's wrong with our country. Am I wrong? Am I no, wrong? No, you're not wrong. No, you're not. It's, dude, like, uh, screw it. I'm just going to say it. People would rather go on MMA Junkie and look at a photo gallery of a female fighter than read things that are written by John Nash, um, Kareem Zidane. Like, literally, I was on MMA Junkie earlier today. What's, like, one of the, the, the top articles on it? Valerie Laredo photos through the years. Like, 
like I get what you're doing. I get you. It's about, you know, selling the sex appeal and getting clicks, but it's just like, you think about a couple of years ago when the athletic got out of the MMA business, when outside of Sean Oshadi, has any of them got a full-time gig in MMA reporting? Oh, um, I don't think so. I'm sorry. I, I got, I went to MMA junkie and I just started looking at the, homepage uh outside the the because uh, the funny thing is when i went to the fa junkie homepage it has uh it has valerie lareda through the years and right next to it to justify it it has fedor through the years and i was just trying to see if there's like a comment section so i can just see which one has more comments uh so i'm sorry you asked me after what did you ask me well think think about a couple years ago when the athletic got into mma they got every legit MMA journalist. Then when they went out a bit, when they, you know, slash MMA, all those, you know, outside of Sean Shadi, I don't think any of them have gotten a full-time gig reporting on MMA. And I just, I, well, I think it's, it's just a well, sad day well, for well, MMA journalism. Well, okay. So Chuck Mendenhall did go to the ringer and he, it's like a podcasting thing with the occasional piece, yeah. but that's Spotify money. Uh, and then you know, like uh, folks in Dundas, they're folks in Dundas. They they figured this s they figured this crap out. I mean, they set themselves up for success. Yeah. To they have, they have great podcasts. They have a great podcast. Yeah, and, but they were they were that way before. And then the rest, I'm not sure. Um, at the end of the day, it sucks. And I've said it before that the writing was there was just more good writing ten years ago than there is now. Um, okay, I think what you said. And, huh? and I'm part of that problem. I would much rather watch video content or audio or listen to audio content than read something. But, yeah. but there was, if, if I was going to read a site, bloody elbow was a site I would go to and read because I knew that I was going to learn about something, whether, you know, maybe it's a John Nash article about what, what's going on with the antitrust lawsuit, or maybe something about, you know, the Ali act, which th there is, um, there is a push to try to expand the Ali act here in 2023, um, whatever Mark way Mullen, uh, can potentially do. And, and I think the fact of, you know, politically speaking, I think it's probably got a better chance to, to go through now, um, or, or articles that Kareem's and Dan wrote. I mean, like, look, there, you know, there is a writer or a bloody elbow that I feel that um, giving a chance to write anything negative about the UFC, he will write negative about the UFC. So I don't really read those articles. You know, I, I just shoot to me straight down the middle. Uh, but I think the unfortunate part in, in some of the journalism we see as a whole, it's very slanted to whatever your view is on that story, as opposed to giving me both sides of the story. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying with those types of articles. Um, one of the points you mentioned about like the photo gallery and stuff, you could boil it down real simple to the way people are nowadays in 2023. People would rather look than read. Mm -hmm. That's as simple as that's as simple as that. I've spent more time looking at Instagram. I've spent so much time looking at Instagram. I would have if I spent the same amount of time reading books, I would have read the entire thing in Barnes and Noble. I would have read the whole the whole catalog in Barnes and Noble. You know, I are it's much easier to look at pictures, look at video, listen to podcasts, and it's very addictive. And that's the whole thing about like 
social media and all that stuff is very addictive and our brains mm-hmm. get addicted yeah. to it. And so it's important to recognize that, hey, man, we should probably take a step back and read some stuff. I actually like reading. I don't read books as much as I should, but I do read sports articles every day uh, and New York Times articles. Uh, so I do hope people find a job. Um, Bloody Elbow, it, it means a lot to me, that website. You know, I was in the comments section years ago when I first yeah. started getting into mixed martial arts. My favorite articles, I believe Jack Slack wrote for them. Yeah, I know yeah. he does a podcast now. His breakdowns are really good, and I can't even remember who did it before him. But there was someone who did breakdowns before him that was also really, really good. And I don't know who it was, and I wish I could remember. I don't know if it was Brent Brookhouse. I feel like it wasn't. I think it was somebody else who did the breakdowns. Yeah. But, yeah, Luke Thomas wrote for them. That's where Luke Thomas started. Yeah. Jonathan Snowden had some very provocative articles back in the day. Uh, for bloody elbow, I mean, real provocative articles. Uh, I just feel that like it, it, I just feel like in terms of MMA websites, I just feel like it's very cut and paste of what you get out there, and, and I just feel that the the people that want to share their opinion, it's they're likely like us. They have a podcast. Yeah, because that's how people consume content. Um, that's how people consume content, and uh, I just hope there's some space for the written word because there's things you can do. Here's the great irony of podcasting versus reading is you can get a lot more information in a shorter period of time reading an article than you can listening to a podcast. Well, here's the other thing. And and this is me coming from a radio background is when it comes to like a fighter interview, I'd rather watch or listen to that interview as opposed to read it because I don't necessarily know what the question was that was related to that quote you gave me you're you're totally right that context like, matters I, I remember like when i first started in radio and they were they were talking about why in, in terms of an interview radio was just a better product is because you know exactly what the question was that got that answer and sometimes when i'm reading articles i do wonder well what was the question to get that answer yeah, you're totally right. The context matters, both the question and also just the way the words were expressed. I will say, though, I do read a lot of articles that recap Ariel's interviews only because it's like sometimes <laughs> I don't have time in the day to listen to four hours of the MA hour. I'm glad the interviews are thorough, but, you know, every day has got 24 hours. And, uh, you know, we have competing things. The, the MA hour is competing for my time with – Professional wrestling, sports content, news content, hanging out with my girlfriend, going to the gym, which I guess I can listen to the MA Hour at the gym. And I do listen to the MA Hour often. I usually each week pick out the interviews that look the most interesting and, and, I, I, and do that. I have preferred listening to the MMA Hour in this version of it as opposed to a previous version because I, I do feel that Ariel has gotten to a point where he's like, I don't give a F what people think about me. <laughs> yeah, Ariel's super entertaining. I mean, Ariel's always been great, but it's even more entertaining. Like he gives no craps. I mean, this is well, I mean, yeah, his- I, I, I think that's the thing is no matter what type of content we're taking in, Daniel, we want to walk away from it going, I know how they feel about the subject they were just talking about. 
Yes, and that's the concern about maybe where the written word is going to go in the next few years is that there's less independence among media entities because the only there are only so many places that are not tied to the UFC that are producing content. Um, it's as simple as that, and it's and it's because you know it's hard to make money with the written word. I mean, it's got to be a website like the Rinker that probably makes most of their money off of their podcast that and their YouTube channel, but mostly their podcast that allows them to do some written articles. You know, the athletic, I hope they continue to have success. I'm subscribed to the athletic. I read it every day. Uh, now they're owned by the New York. Yeah. I'm, sus- I'm subscribed to it, but I don't, I pay a dollar a month for it. Well, True I'm story. A, I'm, me and you are the opposite. You pay a dollar a month and my dumbass is subscribed to the New York Times, so I think I probably already get the Athletic with my New York Times subscription now. But I'm also subscribed to the Athletic. Dude, dude, okay, so I'm a dummy. Oh no, no. Here's where I felt dumb earlier this week. So you know, like I'm like a lot of Americans. I play Wordle, and so I was like, oh, I want you to download the app. So I download the app. It's got like Wordle. It's got crossword. So I go, oh, let me do the crossword. It says easy. I got like ten answers. I'm like, I'm an idiot. Where are the sports questions? <laughs> it, it was you. I, I crosswords are hard, straight up. I don't know people how people are able to finish a crossword, even if it's easy, is beyond me. I've, Dude, I've I'm, never, I'm like going through this, like, damn, I am, I am stupid. Yeah, well, we are, we are, we are. I mean, we are getting stupid. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's, it's a. Uh, we are we I think we may have peaked in like the year two thousand six, you know, just all downhill from there. Yeah, like it, it, it's it's crazy because like you remember you remember when Fox got rid of writers and everyone was all up in arms about that? I'm sitting there going, like, a lot of the content I now take in is on social media. I spend way too much time on TikTok. Way too much time on TikTok. Yeah, I do too. I think you literally have to make a choice to to seek out written articles, which is what I do. But so many people don't make a choice. They let the media come to them that they like more. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when the majority of people do that, then Twitter, t- well, not really Twitter, but TikTok and Instagram and become the dominant force because they're the most easily accessible, entertaining form, addicting form of information. You know, those I, comments, and yeah. those comment sections get wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, comment sections are are uh, addicting too. I mean, I, 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 I dig into comment sections. I read for a little bit, and I always get upset. You know, because the thing about if you go to, I mean, I, I'm a big Reddit guy. I go to the to the MA Reddit, the yeah. wrestling Reddit, and really anything I'm interested in, I'll, I'll look up the Reddit to see what the big news is for the day. You know, I saw um, the backup quarterback for the Ravens went to the Pro Bowl. I'm like, I just want to go to the NFL Reddit and look at the comment section. Oh, good uh, lord! That, I, I can only imagine what that comment section looks yeah. like. Oh, that's hilarious! Uh, <laughs> like, like, how many people turned down that opportunity before they called him? Everybody except for Davis Mills. They didn't ask him. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, the comment section is another thing, but uh, yeah, you know, shout out bloody elbow, man. They, they provide some great content. I don't know if there's still, uh, are they still, so I, are they still yeah, going around? So I believe I saw that 
the people that have been involved are going to take the site over. It just won't be a Vox site anymore. So I mean, we'll see what it looks like. I mean, that's, I think it probably just tells you that uh, it just wasn't making money for Vox. I mean, that's probably the, the reality of it. It's, it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, they were the one site out there that was giving great journalism um, out there. It was these stories that, you know, let's just be honest about it. You know, without, you know, say John Nash or Kareem Zidane, there's, there's probably so many stories we never really hear about. You know, it, it's like I, I saw, um, I don't know if it was on Reddit or Play Elbow, but it was basically along the lines of, hold on. So the UFC will say, if you are involved with James Krause, we will not let you fight. But go be with a dictator in Chechnya. We got no problems with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They call them. They caught out the UFC. And and those guys, like, they, they knew what they were talking about with their specific beats. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, John Nash knows what he's talking about. Kareem knows what they're talking about and i i don't know what they're gonna do going forward but i really hope those guys continue to write um because i want to read their content you know i would really love it if the athletic went put some more money back in the ma uh, and and hearts i mean but if i was the ma writer why the hell would i go there yeah especially when you know how it how it unfolded last time but yeah it just when that that came down it was like man that's just a that's a shot in the arm to ma media i mean just you know i mean look it's just kind of I mean, the reality is, and I mean, as a content creator, I mean, a lot of things we have to do now is you have to create video content. If you're not creating video content, you're just not going to get the views. I mean, that's just, that, that's the way it is, you know? And, and look, and I'm just as guilty of that myself. You know, if it's not in video or audio form, I probably, most likely, I don't take it in unless I see it like on my Twitter timeline or, or like on Reddit. I mean, that, that's how, that's how I take things in. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and I take in as much as I say I read articles. I mean, I only read like six or seven articles a day. I take most of the stuff I take in is video, audio, yeah. etc. I mean, I'm about to go drive to eat dinner. I'm gonna listen to a podcast if I if I don't feel like listening to music. You know, go to the gym. I'm gonna put on a video while I'm on the treadmill. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm 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 the same exact way uh, <laughs> way as well. So yeah, but, so it's, uh, why I'm, it's why I'm super ripped but I have a neck problem <laughs> because I've been doing the Stairmaster, but I've got, you know, been doing that for 20 minutes. You know, I saw that wrestling video on your IG. I saw it. I saw you yeah, over there man. just hanging in the corner. Yeah. I was hanging in the corner and hopefully I can have some success, uh, you know, uh, doing, doing the old wrestling training. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm at the, uh, the Rhodes wrestling Academy, the head coach, Justin Rhodes, 12 week camp. We are one third of the way through. And um, I'm loving every second of it. I'm real grateful. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, man, so. I, I would say when I saw that video of Sami Zayn, one, one of my thoughts was like, man, what would need to happen in the UFC octagon to get that kind of pop? Oh, it, it, it's really about like hometown location, right? The hometown crowds go wild. The Brazilians go wild for the Brazilian fighters. Uh, look, I mean, I mean, would it be uh, like a, a Connor knockout in Ireland? Leon Edwards knocks out Kamaru Usman in London. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, also, come from behind, win in a main event spot. God, I don't know, but that was a uh, look. At the end of the day, that storyline was just unbelievable, man. It was just an unbelievable storyline, and it continues. And uh, yeah, what a pop that was. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, as someone, I mean, I, I take in wrestling here and there. When I saw that video, I was like, holy cow. That, I mean, they paid off that storyline, no doubt about it. But uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, it comes out two times a week. I'll have an interview edition coming out on Sunday. Of course, myself and Dan will be back next Wednesday. We'll take a look back at what happens at Bellator 290 UFC Vegas 68, and we'll get you ready for UFC 284. 